Why don't you just lift your hands and begin to speak in other tongues to the Father. Begin to sing to the Father in other tongues. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just take a few minutes right now to recharge your batteries. Lift your voice, speak in other tongues. Don't be shy. Speak boldly. Exercise your spiritual gift right now. Don't be shy, singers on the platform. Let's put those microphones to the tongues. Sing it to the Father. Yeah!
Lord, with your power and your glory and your strength and your faith, your anointing come upon us today, Lord. The power and the grace release the anointing, Lord, in this place today. And we worship you, worthy of praise, worthy of honor. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, we thank you for your presence, Lord. Let it flow like a river, a river of blessing. Zingindi ne monto roshida elabati la bauta londere stikrete abarabasi So stir up your holy gifts, says the Lord, and release faith, and you shall meet me at your point of faith with grace, says the Lord. Lift up your needs, and I will provide for you. Open your heart to be afresh, says the Lord, for there are new depths of my spirit for you to plunge. Wade into my river, wade into my river and let my flow carry you along and open your heart and I will fill it with fresh waves of my Holy Spirit love. Open your minds, believe my word and you shall see deliverance in the land of the living, says the Lord. Grace in the land of the living. For I shall move my sovereign right hand and I shall change things, says the Lord, for you. Only believe, says the Lord. Only trust me. Believe that I can do what I've promised to do. And though it tarry, the promise will come. The result will be seen in the land of the living. I will show my hand, says the Lord. So be encouraged today by the Spirit of the Lord, for He is with you, molding you and fashioning you in the image of the Son. We thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Give the Lord a clap offering of praise for His presence and his encouragement in this place today amen please take your seats it's wonderful to see you here at our five o'clock teaching service today and um, we of course are in the sermon on the mount and we are just uh, letting the sermon on the mount penetrate the depths of our hearts and spirit because as rt kendall says the sermon on the mount is Jesus's doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's his teaching of the Holy Spirit. And um, uh, as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the Sermon on the Mount is simply an explanation of Jesus's command to us to love one another as he has loved us. So the Sermon on the Mount is not a book of new rules. It's not a new law to replace the old law. No, it is principles that we can apply to our lives with examples of how to walk by the Spirit in love. That's where we are today. Tonight, uh, if you're staying for the revival meeting service at 7 o'clock, I'm, I'm going to be ministering on the subject of speaking in tongues, your spiritual dynamo. Spiritual tongues, your spiritual dynamo. Speaking in tongues is one of the main supernatural engines of the Christian life. 
But very often it's just used as some sort of appendage or some sort of like thing added on. But speaking in tongues should be one of the things that is at the heart of your spirituality. And I will be preaching and modeling that tonight and releasing a new wave of the power of speaking in tongues. That's if you're staying this evening. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. And the reason that I do this on a regular basis is because the Sermon on the Mount is a complete sermon. Probably preached by Jesus over a period of three or four days. And so we don't want to uh, lose sight of the wood because of the trees. We, we don't want to get so focused in one verse that we forget its context. Because one of the great misunderstandings of the Sermon on the Mount is when people hone in on a single verse, take it out of, pluck it out of context, and get it to teach something that in the context of the whole of the Sermon on the Mount it never meant. So let's read the Beatitudes. This is the characteristic of the spirit-filled born-again believer, or what a spirit-filled born-again believer is meant to be like. We're going to read these Beatitudes because the rest of the sermon is a description of how these characteristics take place, or, or these characteristics would deal in different situations, okay? So we're going to read the character, and then the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is what this type of character would do when it comes to praying, fasting, uh, what this character would do when it comes to dealing with their enemies. It's all illustration and principles of the character of a spirit-filled Christian that is this. Blessed are the poor of sp in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the blessed life. These characteristics of being poor in spirit, of, of, um, of being meek, of being hungry for righteousness, these are the type of characteristics, the fruit of the spirit, that we should be cultivating in our lives. Uh, but people said to Jesus, or must have said, well, Jesus, how, how would this type of person, the blessed person, operate in daily life? And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is an explanation of how this person would respond and deal with very practical situations in life. As we moved through chapter 5, we came to a key verse in chapter 5, verse 20, which says, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And the rest of chapter 5, as we've seen, is showing a righteousness that comes from the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were righteous on the outside only. Jesus said they were like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they looked perfect, holy, righteous. But on the inside, like a whitewashed tombs, it was dead men's bones. So the righteousness of a Pharisee is somebody that just obeys externally. And we saw some examples that they wouldn't murder somebody. But Jesus said, what about the anger in your heart that murders somebody's reputation? They apparently wouldn't commit the physical act of adultery. But we see, we've seen in this passage that their heart was full of lust. 
and they used the divorce laws to get rid of women that they didn't want to be their wives when they saw somebody that they wanted to be. So they were utilizing the law as an excuse. On the outside, everything looked good, but on the inside, the motivation, it was a mess. So God is looking for us to deal with the inner heart first. Of course, out of your heart, Jesus said, says, flows who you really are. So Jesus wants to deal with the matters of the heart, not just outward conformity. In fact, outward conformity is the righteousness of the Pharisees. We now have found ourselves last week coming into chapter 6. And still we have this theme of how a Pharisee acts, a religious outward actions, and how God wants us to act. And the key in chapter 6 is walking with the Father, or living your life in the light of the Father. And uh, we, see, we saw last week that uh, the Pharisees were doing their charitable, charitable deeds before men, and uh, they were trumpeting things, and, it, and that they may have glory for men. In verse 2, they were seeking honor, not from God, but they were seeking honor from men. And, God, and Jesus said, and they got their reward. If you have honor from men, you won't have honor from God. And honor from God, we see, is actually a secret spirituality. So real honor comes from the place where nobody sees but God alone. This is an incredible challenge to our lives. Because I only, if I know any of you, I only know you from what I see on the outside. And how you may present yourself to me is probably very different than you when you're at your worst behind the scenes. And you haven't, thank God, seen me at my worst. You don't know me behind the scenes or in my family situation. You don't know. You haven't seen those things. And so what can take place in the church is the same thing that Jesus is teaching against at that time. What can happen is we present ourselves on the outside as being this, that, and the other. And people look at us and say, oh, that's a powerful man or woman of God. That's a righteous person. Oh, how wonderful. How nice. But God knows what we're really like on the inside. And what can happen in human nature is we can find ourselves sometimes without even realizing, it's unconscious sometimes, living for what other people think about us. And that's one of the dangers of Christianity, is that you can live your Christian life trying to conform to people around you, or trying to be to people what you think they want you to be. So you come into a church and maybe that church has a dress code. So you change your dress code to fit in. Or maybe that church has a special spiritual language. And so you change your language to fit in with the spiritual language of that church. And so you're looking for signals to see how to act and how to speak that will cause people to say, Hey, you're a really good Christian. You fit in. You're part of us. You're on fire. And so people can even in the worship time, not, not today of course, but even in the worship time, can say, What? 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 How do you do this then? Oh, 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 all right. What? Oh, oh. Well, that's what you do, do you? 
And so people can, without realizing, take on the outward expressions of what they see around. And then people see someone like, oh, look at that person, filled with the Spirit. Are they? Only God knows. Okay? So this is exciting and challenging because who you are behind the scenes, when you get home tonight... When you wake up in the morning, when nobody sees you, that's what God sees. And that's where we want the Holy Spirit to work. We want to shift attention from people and honor from men or trying simply to, to show a righteousness that people give us credit for. What a holy person, what a nice Christian, what a nice... We want to shift attention from that to where, what we know we're like where only God sees. Because that's the spirituality that matters. That's why in verse 2, he says, don't, when you do your charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites. We're going to see this word again later on today. A hypocrite. Now in the Greek, the word hypocritas is talking about play acting. It's got the picture of an actor. And when you see a great acting is wonderful, it's a wonderful profession. And when you see somebody that acts really, really well, um, what can happen is they act so well. Or you go to a play or you see a film and before you realize it, um, you suspend belief. Or disbelief, I can't remember which one it is. But what happens is you, you begin to forget that that's an actor. You get drawn into the play, you get drawn into the character that's being played and you cease to forget that it's an actor. That's a great actor, isn't it? Or a great film when you watch it and you get drawn into it. And, and that word hypocrite is talking about play acting. So that means that when Jesus is saying, don't be careful being a hypocrite, what happens with the hypocritical spirit is that you put on an act consciously or unconsciously. Okay? This is why we need the Holy Spirit. This isn't about, always about someone saying, right, I know I'm a nasty person. But I'm going to pretend to be nice. There are people that are, are very like, hypocritical like that. But mostly hypocrisy, you know. The Pharisees didn't realize that they were hypocrites. They weren't waking up one day saying, okay, I'll put on the mask. The thing about self-righteousness is the people that are self-righteous, by definition, believe they are righteous. The Pharisees were hypocrites, but they didn't know it. That they were the blind, Jesus said, leading the blind. Uh, and they couldn't see it. That's the danger of self-righteousness. That's the danger of seeking honor from man. We can be doing it without even realizing it. And Jesus is saying, look, let, let's go to where, if you really want to know how spiritual you are, don't ask people around you. Just look and see who you are when it's just you and the Father. And so here with giving, don't let, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In the principle of giving, it's like you give or you do a charitable deed. But the principle, not law, the principle is the way you do it, really, only the Father knows. Only the Father knows that you've done it. That's the principle. And because you've, only the Father knows, then you can be pretty sure it's purity of heart. Because there is no reward from anybody else. And so Jesus has used that as an illustration. Now in verse 5, he continues on this same theme of, of getting honor from God and not from man. 
seeking the honor that comes from God alone. I'm going to read verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray... Do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard in their many wo- for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. Therefore, pray in this manner, our Father in heaven. So, we are still looking at a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. A righteousness of a heart. A righteousness or spirituality that can only be measured in the secret place, behind the scenes. We've seen this in the example Jesus gave about giving. And now he begins to speak to us about how secret spirituality or true spirituality is dealt in our prayer life. How to get honor from God and not from men. And in this section on prayer that leads into our Father, what we call the Lord's Prayer, and we'll be dealing with the Lord's Prayer next Sunday in its own right, we find that there are two negatives and two positives. Two negatives, two ways not to pray, and then two ways of how to pray. And both of them are to do with your relationship with your Father, not with your relationship with other people. Okay? As I said before... Chapter 6 is very important because chapter 6 says, do you know what? It's all about the Father. When you think of the things that we looked at in chapter 5, the character of the Beatitudes, uh, when we looked at how to be salt and light, and when we looked at such things as dealing with heart issues when it comes to anger and lust and loving your enemies and uh, going the extra mile, By the time you've gone through those things, you say, well, if I do all those things, how am I going to survive? If if you slap me on one cheek and I give you the other, how many times am I going to get slapped? I'm going to have to slap you back sooner or later to defend myself. Well, chapter 6, as we will see, is saying, do you know what? Trust your father. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you dress. Don't worry about how long you're going to live. The father is looking for people or children, should I say, that trust him. So chapter 6 is all about your life with the Father, your life with the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful chapter. And here in prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. So again, we get this picture of outward acting, not inward Believing, outward acting. And firstly, notice that in this passage about prayer, we find that the hypocrites love to pray. Isn't that interesting? They love to pray. Not just that they pray, they love to pray. I was thinking about that. Because you would think a hypocrite wouldn't love to pray. You would think a hypocrite would might say, oh... Oh, we're praying in tongues now. Okay, I'll do it for a little bit, but I'll do as little as I can because I'm a hypocrite. But we find here that hypocrites love 
to pray. They love to be known as prayer warriors, intercessors. They love to be known by God. Oh, no, we're not talking about God, are we? Because we're talking about hypocrites. So, so hypocrites love to be known by other people as prayer warriors, prayer intercessions, breakthrough prayer warriors. They love to pray and they love to be known as great prayers. Immediately, this makes us think about uh, the dangers of actually the intercessory ministry or prayer ministry or the public ministry. Because although there are genuine intercessors and genuine intercessory ministries, I have also found in my brief time in the ministry that sometimes when you're dealing with hypocrisy, you deal with the hypocrites that often portray themselves as the spiritual intercessors of a church. And they come to you and they've always got something to tell you that they have learned from the Lord. Some direction for the church. That's why it's important that whenever you lead a church, that you always make sure when you're leading the church that it's the leaders that lead in intercession. Never delegate leadership in intercession to other people because there's the danger that the tail will start to, uh, you know, wag the dog. And so there's a danger, especially in public ministry or in, in dealing with intercessory ministries, that there becomes what we call an elitism. An elitism. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been with a person where they go on and on and on about prayer and intercession and we need, it's always we need more prayer. We need more prayer. We need more prayer. We need more prayer. Why don't you stop saying we need more prayer and just pray? If you put all your energy into praying instead of telling us you need, we need more prayer, we wouldn't need more prayer, would we? Have you ever been with somebody where, you, where when they start talking about prayer, by the end of it, you feel really bad? You feel like you're a rotten prayer. And actually, you don't want, it doesn't make you want to pray more. It actually discourages you. Well, we don't want to be discouraged. A true prayer warrior makes you want to pray. A true prayer warrior stimulates, says, I want to pray. I want to pray too. So the Pharisees loved to pray. But where do they love to pray? In the secret place? No, standing in the synagogues, standing on the corners of streets. In other words, wherever other people are to see them pray. And the picture is of them, like a play actor, a hypocrite, performing a performance of prayer for others. It's a performance. And so what can happen is when people can pray, you can often, I mean, you know, sometimes we can get discernment wrong. And I'm speaking about people that are hypocrites. So don't think everybody that you don't like the way they're praying, they must be a hypocrite. You know, it's not about us pointing out the hypocrites. It's about God, is this in me in any way? But I have to give you sort of examples, you know what I mean, as a context so we can look into our own hearts. But it's interesting to listen to people pray. Often if I pass a cell group, if there's a group and they're praying, I might just loiter a while, just out of view, and listen to how people pray. Because you can learn a lot about people when you listen to them pray. You can if, you, if you're discerning. And sometimes, you know, people are praying. And sometimes when someone prays, it is like a performance. I mean, sometimes, you know, they go back into old King James English. 
but they don't speak to you during the day in old King James English. Or they, or they, or they start, you know, thee and thou, and, 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 and all of a sudden their whole, they just change. It's like, it's like you don't talk like that to normal people. Why, why do you talk religiously to the Father? You know what I'm saying? Now, sometimes that can just be bad habits. So I'm not calling everybody who does that a hypocrite. But it's like, why? Why, why are you trying to be like somebody else when you pray? Why are you trying to model yourself when you pray on this person or that preacher? Why are you doing that? Is your prayer in a cell group or is your prayer for the benefit of God or for the benefit of those that are around you? Sometimes when I'm in small group prayers, there's people that are really glad when they do pray and I have to encourage them to pray. There's other people, to be quite honest, I'm glad when they shut up. Because you're sitting there thinking, oh God... We're praying. I know, so, I, know, I, know, I know he or she's going to pipe up sooner or later. And then 20 minutes later, they'll still be going on. And then you have to go, amen, amen, amen. Why? Because they're off on one. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm saying this because everything we're talking about, about Phariseeism and doing it for others rather than God, even when we don't realize it. Remember, I'm not saying that these people sit there and go, right, I'm going to impress everybody. It's far, far subtle. The spirit of the Pharisee and the hypocrite is far, far subtle than you could possibly think. As I've been asking the Lord to search my heart, I've been looking at things and seeing things in my life in a different way. And I've been open for correction, open for examination, because the moment you think that you're not a hypocrite... You are. The moment you'd say, I'm not a Pharisee, you are. Because we've all got blind spots and parts in our lives that are hypocritical. Let's face it. Uh, you know, to say, to say, look, you know what, Lord, you know in the private place I'm a hypocrite in this area, is the first step to being healed and moving forward, isn't it? It's self-denial and denial to God that traps us in this situation. So they love to pray in the synagogues, in the streets. In other words, anywhere where there's an audience. Assuredly, Jesus says, they have their reward. Now, I've been thinking about this reward because Jesus also says earlier, you know, if you give before men, uh, you won't have, you'll have no reward in verse 1 from your Father in heaven. But if you give before men and sound the trumpet, blow your own trumpet, assuredly I say to you, they have their reward. I've been thinking about this. So people that, that give to be seen, or like I said, they may not intentionally want to be seen, but in the end, that's what's happening. They don't even know the dynamic that's working in their lives. And those that pray to be seen, again, they might not say, I'm going to be seen today, but what they're doing is effectively looking for applause, looking for affirmation. Those people that do that have their reward. I've been thinking about it. Why? Who rewards them? And I thought, probably the same Pharisees are rewarding one another. Because I wouldn't want to reward somebody that was play acting, would you? Would you want to reward somebody that was putting on a show? For you, not God, even if they didn't know what they were doing. But basically, their motivation was, how did I do? How did I do? What do you think? Am I holy? Am I spiritual? Well, people in Jesus, Jesus is saying, people, there's people out there to reward. There's people that do it. 
And so I think there's a reverse message here as well. Not only do we not want to be the people that are looking, not from honor from God, but people around us. We don't, we don't want to be like that. But neither do we want the people to be the people that encourage the hypocrites, that fall for it, that are, that are swift to, um, to give, you know, over-the-top affirmation to things that are meant for God alone. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that if someone is in your cell group and they pray a good prayer, you can say, I, I was really blessed by your, your prayer today. If you were, there's nothing wrong with saying that. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is not a law. It's a principle. You don't apply it rigidly. You say, what is Jesus getting at? But at the same time, we have to be responsible in our praise of others. Sounds a bit strange, isn't it? We have to be responsible in our praise for others because there was some irresponsible praise giving going on. There was like, oh, what a wonderful giver you are. Let me shake your hand. Let me, let me take you out for a meal. Let me put you in the church bulletin. What a wonderful gift you, you know, you are fostering the wrong spirit, aren't you? You could take that person aside and just say, look, I just, I know you did it to the Lord, but I just want to say thank you. On behalf of the charity for your giving. It's different, isn't it? It's different, isn't it? And here as well, with this performance. Now, it's talking about prayer, but we could talk about any type of performance, any type of teaching, any type in a cell group. That we have to be careful, not, not, only, not only that we're seeking honor from men, but we are giving the wrong honor. That, that we, are, we are feeding this type of situation. You hear what I'm saying? Now... They have their reward. This means that if we give with a motivation for honor from men, however hidden that motivation is, and God will certainly show it to us if we ask it. If we pray for the motivation of the applause or affirmation of other people, then we have our reward already. In fact, Jesus said, you have your reward in full. That means that those prayers don't make it to the throne. Sobering thought, isn't it? So that means that I could, with the wrong motivation that none of you can see, maybe if some of you knew me, you could speak into my life, but I could right now hold a prayer meeting and with the wrong motivation, I could pump up the volume, I could, I could begin to use rhetorical skill, pump it up, Get it and get you clapping and get you praising and get you and get you to go out and say, Do you know what? That was one of the best prayer meetings I've ever been to. And although your heart might be right and God heard your praying, He didn't hear mine. Isn't that amazing? These Pharisees were major ministers. They were major ministers. They were in the corner. On the corner. They were in the temple. They, these were major ministries. And God was saying, not hearing your prayer because you've got your reward. Now, that's the negative. But we also see the positive. He says in verse 6, but you, when you pray. And you might not notice this because it's not clear. But in, in the New Testament Greek, there are two words for you. There is a you, single, so you, one person, like in French, two, yeah, you, singular. But in the Greek, there is also you, plural, like vous, you know, you, all, or you, 
in particular. And often in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will use the word, you all, you know, you everybody, everybody. But here he uses the word, you singular. In other words, he's saying, you, you as an individual, you as a Single person, one person, I'm speaking to you right now. I'm not addressing all of you as a group, because this isn't a group thing. This is a private, personal prayer life that I'm speaking about. That's what Jesus is saying. So he uses the word you, singular. That means each one of us before the Lord. And he's saying you, when you pray. Notice it doesn't say If you pray, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In verse six, where it says, but you, when you pray, go into your room. The word for room there in the Greek is tameon, tameon. And it means two things, Tameon. It means in Luke chapter 12, verse 3, for those taking notes, Luke chapter 12, verse 3, the word room, Tameon, means inner room, inner private room, inner room, okay? Luke chapter 12, verse 3. But in the same chapter, Luke chapter 12, verse 24, Luke chapter 12, verse 24, it's not used in the sense of an inner private room. It's used in the sense of a storeroom, a storeroom where there would be treasures and provision. And so it's a wonderful word for Jesus to use because talking about our personal, private, uh, intimate prayer life with God, it speaks about a twofold thing. First of all, it's an inner room. It is a private place. You know, it's like if you go to, well, I haven't been to Buckingham Palace, but you go to anywhere like Buckingham Palace or Number 10 Downing Street or Parliament and things, there was always outer rooms. But, you know, there are private rooms as well. So in the Buckingham Palace, you'll have the Queen's private rooms. And you don't get to go in there unless you're someone very special with a very private meeting. Otherwise, you stay in the public galleries. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is talking about a private place. It doesn't mean like some people, I've known some people that, that in the old uh, King James Version, it says, uh, go into your closet. And they did that. They go into their wardrobe. <laughs> yes, they do. I've known people that have gone into their wardrobes because it says, when you go into your closet. So they're there with all their jumpers and T-shirts and everything, thinking they're obeying the Bible. But what it means is a place where you're by yourself. A place where... And isn't this... A great contrast to the Pharisees. The Pharisees did all their praying and they loved to pray in public. In a place where you can see them and see what they're doing. That's where their prayer life was. It was public. Because of course they wanted honor from men, didn't they? But here is the absolute reverse. We've got people that are in a private place, an inner room where nobody can see. So what happens in this place? Nobody knows. Nobody knows but the Father. Nobody knows but the Father. Now, that, that is so different to what's been presented, isn't it? The Pharisees, everybody knows. And in this place, 
Nobody knows. Can you see how it's the similar attitude to giving and doing your good works? It's like you want to show the Father, but you're not interested in showing other people. That's the spirit of what Jesus is talking about. And your Father who sees in secret. This has been really speaking to my heart. Because I've been thinking to myself, you know what? I need to work even more on what happens secretly. In fact, that's where this has really been impacting my personal life. I'm not backslidden. Uh, I don't want you to think I'm totally backslidden. Maybe a little bit. We're all backslidden. Depends who you compare yourself to, doesn't it? <laughs> I probably am backslidden compared to many people. But all I'm saying is being honest with you that this Sermon on the Mount series is changing my life. It's challenging me in an incredible, powerful way. Well, it'd be a shame if it didn't. It's the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And, I've, and I'm just, it's just hitting me. Afraid. I should be focusing even more on what's secret and hidden. That's where I should be putting my energies in a place where nobody will know, except the Father. Not just in prayer, but in attitudes, in responses to situations, where, I, where in the end it's like, you know, Bruce, this is from the Father, this type of, you know, Bruce, nobody knows except me how you dealt with that situation. I want you to know I'm pleased you did the right thing. You know what I'm saying? You know, nobody knows <coughs> the... This, I'm making this up as I go along. It's not true. No, just in case you think he's revealing everything that happens to him. No, nobody knows how insulted you were but me. But the way you handled it, nobody knows. But I know. You handled it in my presence. You reacted not to the situation, but you re reacted to what your father saw. Do you see what I'm saying? To get to the place where how we deal with people and deal with situations, our first thought is, what do you want me to do, Father? What do you want me to do, Father? I'm reacting to you, not to this situation. Wouldn't that be an amazing way to live our lives? And so often, our reactions and responses, only the Father would know. Because we, we refuse to make a fuss of something. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, we've already seen, you know, I don't want us to go now too far in the other direction. We've already seen that when it talks about if someone sues you for your inner shirt, give them the, your outer shirt too. When we've looked at that, if you've missed some of these series, just go on the website and watch what you've missed. Each time I teach, it's a section in itself, but part of the whole. And we spoke that does that mean you can't take someone to court? Or does that mean you can't go to your elders about a situation? No, of course it doesn't. But it means that if you go to an el the elder or to court about a situation, you're doing it for the right reasons, not for vindictiveness. You understand? You're doing it for the sake of your father, not the sake of yourself. Everything we should do, everything we should do should be for our father. That's what I'm trying to say. For our Father. So if you are in the public pulpit, if you do lead a pu public prayer meeting, you want it to be the best prayer meeting ever. That's cool. For your Father. For your Father. When you're praying in your cell group, you want to pray strong and you want to go forward. Why? For your Father. For your Father. Do you hear what I'm saying? So this is not, this teaching about giving, it's not about shrinking back. It's not about shrinking back and becoming all pious. You can, the devils, he'll, he'll take this and then turn that into extreme. And then we'll get people in prayer trying to pray bad prayers so that nobody congratulates them. 
Oh, you know, I don't want honor from men, so I'm going to pray really badly today. I'm just going to, oh, Lord Jesus, help us, Lord. Amen. Amen. And they're like, why don't you pray better than that? Oh, because I don't want your honor. No, God wants us in the spirit of excellence, doesn't he? Wants us to do our best. But it's who are you doing your best for? Isn't that right? It's all inside, isn't it? That's why you can't see. You can't see today whether I am teaching for you or ultimately for my father. Well, you might have discernment, but you hear what I'm saying? Day to day, week to week, you can't tell sometimes or often on the outside because you can just see the outside. That's why it's important that we take charge of our lives on the inside. And then he moves on again to talk about a negative way. Oh, sorry. And of course, the second way of this room, it's an inner room. It's private. It's secret. But it's a storeroom. I love that. And you're in a storeroom. And I loved it. I thought, it's like, you think it's a private inner room. But really, it's Ikea. It's Argos. And they've let you in to the storeroom at the back. When I was a kid, I used to work in Argos. You know Argos? And all you know, probably, is you go in there and you get your little ticket and you write the number of your ticket and you hand it to the, to the lady and they sort of press in a button. What you don't know is that there's a little Bruce Atkinson in the back by the ticker tape. It's a ticker tape thing. And you, and you all stand there. I remember there's five or six of us around this ticker tape thing. And you're waiting and then suddenly tick, 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 it comes out and you take it and you go into the storeroom and you have to match the number to find the item and bring it out. And when it really get, when it's Saturday, I'm telling you, that thing won't shut up. It is just spurting out ticker tapes. But I'll tell you what, being in the back of Argos, everything's there. It's amazing. You're going through all these things and everything that's in the catalog is in the storeroom. And when I read this, in a room is also the storm. I thought, it's like Argos. You're going in your quiet place, but it's a storeroom. And, and, and you say, well, how do you know it's a storm? Because it says this. If you go into the secret place, verse 6, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Wow. In the end, he'll, he'll vindicate you openly. The very thing the Pharisees ultimate, the Pharisees were going for, ultimately you'll get if you go to the secret. Because God knows that he can trust you openly because you are a secret person. You know what I'm saying? And so you're in there in this storeroom and God is saying, come to me. This is where your provision is. Your provision is not from men. Or women, it's not, from, it's not from getting honor from them or getting things from them. That's not your provision. In the secret place where nobody sees but God alone, there is your victory. And then verse 7, he says, uh, then here's another negative. We've had a negative, a positive, and now another negative. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Drawing this to a close in the next three minutes. To me, what, what really hit me is this. These people, vain repetitions, or in some translations it says babbling. Anyone got babbling? You got babbling? What version do you have? NIV says babbling, vain babbling. For me, what this verse shows is someone that is not connected to the Father. Prayer without connection. 
Again, Jesus is being negative, and sometimes negative is positive. So I'm going to show a negative example in order to make a positive point. There have been times when I've heard people pray, and it's so babbling and so contrived, I'm thinking to myself, they're not connected to God. They're just going through the motions of praying. They're not even thinking what they're saying. Now, I'm not judging the heart here, so if you're like this, don't worry about it, because sometimes people just have bad habits. But it's like when you meet people that pray, and they pray like this. And okay, I'm being a little bit professional, I suppose, about it, but there's a point here. And it's like, oh, and Father God, we just come to you, Father God, and we ask you, Father God, if you would help us, Father God, because we love you, Father God, and we're hoping, Father God, that you're going to Father God with us, Father God, because you're Father God. It's like, if you came up to me, Bruce, I just want to ask you a question, Bruce. If you'd mind listening to me, Bruce, because, Bruce, I want you to hear me, Bruce. Would you listen to me, Bruce, for a minute, Bruce, because I want to tell you. I said, I'm here. I'm here. When you said Bruce, I turned to listen the first time. Now, sometimes, you know, God isn't bot. You know what I mean? It's the heart that counts. But why would you, why would you think about what you're praying? You don't have to throw your mind. Why are you keeping doing that? God sees the heart. He's not, you know, it's the heart that matters, but at the same time, come on. Come on, you're not thinking about what you're saying. You would never do that with a normal person. Why are you doing it with the Father? I know I'm being a bit finicky on that particular point, um, but still, babbling, vain repetitions. You know, sometimes you can have a powerful all-night prayer meeting. There's some great, powerful all-night prayer meetings. But sometimes all-night prayer meetings will just be a bunch of babbling. Filling in the hours. Babble, 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 babble. Your turn to babble. I'll babble for an hour. It's three o'clock. We've got four more hours of babbling to do. But one moment in connection. To connect. When you pray connect. When you worship, connect. I'm constantly like drawing myself up, pulling myself up in worship times. It's something I struggle with in worship times when I know I've got to do something. I've got to preach or I've got to welcome. And my mind is on what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? But I'm thinking, oh, and I'm singing the song. It's like, Bruce, you're not connecting. You're thinking about your welcome and you're singing the song, but you're not actually singing the song to Lord. You're not actually connecting to God, uh, and, and, and it's difficult, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not hard on myself, but it's difficult today, because I'm singing the song, but I'm not connecting, and so th- for me, this is talking about people that don't connect with God, and in the Pharisee situation, they're not even looking to, they just want to be seen to be the person that prays longest, he that prays longest must be holiest, and so when you pray, do not use vain repetitions, repeating, 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 what a second, He's either heard you or not. This doesn't mean you can only pray things one. Knock and keep knocking. Ask and keep asking. But that is different than just vain repetitions that don't connect and go round and round. and round. For they think they will be heard for their many words. It's religion. They think that they will be heard for their many words. It's like when, like when someone says, oh, I'm going to say, you know, from a, I'll do 20 Hail Marys. Well, you think you're going to get heard for your many words? Ten our fathers. What, you think you're going to be heard by your many words? No, you're heard because you're connected with your heart. As we close today, next week, Jesus is going to model the prayer, the prayer that we should pray. And the our father prayer 
it, it's great to pray it through once, and we will together next week. That'll be part of what we do. But each line is a door to a whole room of prayer, of, of, um, of a topic. It's amazing. You can't go wrong if you're led by the Lord's Prayer. And of course, from what we've been learning, we're not just going straight into the Lord's Prayer. We know that this must be a righteousness of the heart. This is a spirit. The, the, the Lord's Prayer is full of spirituality, that we can learn what spiritual praying is. So we've continued in this theme of a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. We've talking about the things on the inside. What matters is what God sees. Let's put our energies, let's divert our attention so much from what other people think, although that is important. And let's say, wait a second, behind it all, in the secret place, how am I doing in the sight of my Father? And let's work afresh on pleasing God where nobody sees. Amen? Pleasing God where nobody sees. Because so often, where nobody sees, that's where we let things fall. Where nobody sees, that's when we stop play acting. When nobody sees, that's when we think it's not important. Nobody sees. But that's the most important place because that's where the Father sees. And that's where he judges our spirituality where nobody sees but him. God bless you. Take care. And as you go, don't forget to look at the uh, prospectus that we have given you for the IBL courses. The prospectus is not just for you, but there might be other people that you know about that you want to give it to. So, um, you know, spread these about. There's somebody out there that needs to come to Bible school. Um, or, to the, or if you know someone who's interested in the arts, let them know. Spread the word so that those that God wants will come and join us uh, this autumn. God bless you.